beautiful people. Welcome to the Women in Theater podcast. We're your hosts, Haley Goldenberg. And Amy Andrews. Grab a cup of coffee and join us as we talk to people in the theater industry about their experiences with womanhood. On the pod, we interview people with different gender identities from different backgrounds with varying levels of industry experience and professional roles. Our goal is to build community and pool our collective wisdom to break down the barriers we continue to face. In today's episode, we speak with Madeline Myers, who is a composer and lyricist for musical theater in New York City. Madeline's musicals include Double Helix, Flatbush Avenue, The Devil's Apprentice, and Masterpiece. Named to the 2022 Broadway Women's Fund Women to Watch on Broadway list, Madeline is a 2023 and 2022 Kleben Prize finalist for lyric writing, a winner of the 2021 Billy Burke Ziegfeld Award presented by New York Stage and Film and the Ziegfeld Club, a multi-year Jonathan Larson Grant finalist, a 2019 York Theatre Company NEO writer, a multi-year ASCAP Plus Award recipient, and a 2016 to 2017 Dramatists Guild Fellow. Madeline's musicals have been developed at Bay Street Theatre, the York Theatre, Goodspeed Musicals, the New Dramatists Composer Librettist Studio, the Finger Lakes Musical Theatre Festival, Musical Theatre Factory, the NMI Disney Imagineering New Voices Project, the New York Theater Barn, and the Johnny Mercer Songwriting Project. Hello, listeners. We are here with the fabulous Madeline Myers. Madeline, can you please share your pronouns and tell us a little bit about what you do in the theater? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I know you all just celebrated a birthday. So happy belated birthday. Thank you. (laughs) My name is Madeline Myers, and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm a composer and lyricist. And I say I'm also a musical dramatist because the work that I write is sung through, but I also wouldn't consider myself a book writer, if that makes sense. If someone came to me and asked me to write a book to their musical, I'm not sure that's how I would describe or define myself. But at the same time, I feel like I very much develop to my own work. So that's why I call myself a musical dramatist. Amazing. Madeline, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to theater in the first place? Yes. Well, I grew up in a really small town in the corner of Georgia, about an hour and a half northwest of Atlanta, where there was pretty much no no access to arts whatsoever. I wow. Would say. It was, there were not, no artistic institutions, no cultural institutions. But there were a couple of things, I think, that really brought me to the theater. One of them was my town had a library. And I grew up loving to read. I still, to this day, love to read. I love to read. And the reason why I bring this up in the context of theater is because I think it developed my love of story. And I think story is just one really, really big piece of the puzzle. If I have any perspective and if I'm able to look back and kind of see how I got into the theater, it feels like story through books is kind of one of the big pieces. The other things were I grew up with a piano that my mom had when she was a child. She had started piano lessons and she had this spinet piano. And I, I feel really lucky that I had an instrument in my house because without it, I don't know that I would have come to music quite in in the same way. And so I grew up taking piano lessons. I trained as a classical pianist, and that certainly informs my musical style. It's definitely more of the concert music or art music than, you know, say like a pop rock vein, something like that. I fell in love with music through the piano, and the piano still to this day is my happy place. 
It's one of the great loves of my life, music and piano. But even as I took piano lessons, I quickly discovered that I liked how my brain felt when I was creating something more so than when I was interpreting something that someone else had written. So in middle school, I kind of started to write songs, your typical angsty middle school girl songs. We all wrote them, Madeline. Listen, that's that's how we got our start. Yes. So I feel like music came into the picture in that way. And then the last big part that got me into theater was, again, I grew up in this really small town. I played the piano. I loved to read. But I again, did not have access to any sort of theater, professional or amateur or otherwise. But my mom had an aunt who lived in New York City, and she would send my sister and me for every gift-giving occasion, a holiday or a birthday or something like that. She would send us VHSs of the old MGM movie musicals. So we had Oklahoma, we had My Fair Lady, we had The Sound of Music, Singing in the Rain, State Fair, Easter Parade. All the classics. Exactly. I loved watching these musicals. I just thought they were so special. And I think as I got older, I realized that my love of music and my love of story met in this place of musical theater and that it had kind of been there all along, you know, since I was a kid watching these movie musicals. And it would actually be a very long time before I ever went to New York and saw a professional Broadway musical. But those are really the three big things that when I look back on, I feel like that's how I ended up here doing this thing is Loving to read, loving music, and falling in love with musical theater specifically through these old MGM videos. I love it. So cool. I love that so much. I mean, I don't love that you were in this community that was totally bereft of art, but I love that art found its way to you regardless. That's yes. really cool. That's a lovely way of putting it, Amy. Natalie, can you tell us about what you're working on creatively right now? I know you have really exciting stuff coming up. Thank you. Yes. Well, in 2019, I started writing a musical called Double Helix. And Double Helix is about the real-life race to secure the discovery of the structure of DNA and the scientist Rosalind Franklin. And Rosalind Franklin was this really talented, really brilliant X-ray diffractioner. She was a scientist and she took these X-ray photographs. And she was working at King's College in London in the early 1950s. And she was tasked with using her X-ray photographs to uncover the structure of DNA. And so she toiled away for a long time taking these pictures until finally she took a picture that revealed the structure of DNA to be a double helix. And one of the rival lab mates in her lab, another scientist named Morris Wilkins, took this photograph without her permission or her knowledge and shared it with another team working on the DNA problem at the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge, two scientists by the name of James Watson and Francis Crick. And the three men, Morris Wilkins, James Watson and Francis Crick would go on to win the Nobel Prize in 1962 for discovering the structure of DNA. And Rosalind Franklin passed away of ovarian cancer at age 37 in 1958. So Mm. Double Helix is Rosalind's story, which has been left out of our dominant cultural narrative about the most significant scientific discovery in modern history. So I've been working on Double Helix since 2019. 
I did like a 45 minute, very much for myself, reading of all the material that I had. I think it was September of 2019. Maybe the first songs I shared from it were in March and April 2019. And then in September, I went to the Dramatist Guild with a bunch of friends, rehearsed the music just to hear it and just to see how does this show behave? How does this all work? What do I have? What am I missing? Let's just kind of see what's here. And then I put it away towards the end of the year as I was preparing for a workshop of another show that was scheduled to happen in March of 2020. Obviously, that was very much canceled. So Double Helix has primarily been developed during the pandemic. I believe it was October, November of 2020. We did the first full-length reading of it on Zoom. October of 2021, we did the first in-person reading of it. May of 2022, we did the second in-person reading of it. And then it is actually going to have its world premiere at Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor running May 30th through June 18th. And I'm just so excited. I am over the moon. I feel like I'm just walking around on air these days because I am just really excited that this show actually gets to have a full production in real life. And hopefully there will be more productions beyond Bay Street. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Although listeners, roll up to the show, you guys. Like, yeah, we'll be there. Check out the show. Yeah. On sale April 15th. The run is very short. So get your ticket, come to Bay Street and see this first production. Yay. Yay. (laughs) So exciting. Madeline, do you have a creative mission or something that kind of ties all of the different work that you do together? What a very thoughtful and compelling question. My creative mission, and I, I don't know that I've articulated this out loud before. When I think about growing up watching all these MGM movie musicals, I think the kind of art that I would like to make is the art that I love and the art that other people will love. And I, when I think about the kind of stories and the musical stories that I love the most, they're the ones that are honest and truthful and get at that ineffable human thing. And so I hope that is what my work can do and will do. And I hope that some person, I don't know, BHS certainly don't exist anymore, but that it means something to other people in the way that I think about what musicals have meant to me in my own life. Yeah, I really love that. And I have to say, I'm so grateful that you are creating this work about this woman who's largely been lost, to your point, to history, to our larger cultural narrative. It's really deeply important work that you're doing. And I'm so excited to see the story of a woman who we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. It's really, really exciting. So It's so, so very aligned with the work that Haley and I do and hope to do both in this project and in our own writing project. So we're very pleased to be having this conversation. I feel the same way as a theater goer, as someone who just loves theater. When I first heard about Rosalind Franklin, it was kind of in this roundabout way. I had a friend who said, do you know anything about the discovery of the structure of DNA? And it was this really explosive, dramatic, exciting race. And as soon as they told me about it, I was Wow, I just was dazzled by the idea. I thought Mm -hmm. it was exciting. The hair on my neck stood up and my heart stopped. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is thrilling. And I wanted to know more about it. And I started to read about it. 
And it wasn't until I read about it that I learned about Rosalind Franklin and how central she was to this discovery. I, for one, grew up learning in high school that Watson and Crick discovered DNA. That just yep. part of our cultural understanding. It just feels accepted. That's something also that I'm very interested in is that very often we think that history is the truth. And Sometimes it is, but it's not always. And it's not the whole truth, too, right? Like it's it's missing lots of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really interesting. And in the case of Rosalind Franklin, I really connected with her when I read about her because we are both women. We are both Jews. I'm around the same age that she was when she was working on this discovery. And the biggest thing that I just really connected with her about was the way that she felt about her work and mm-hmm. a scientist is how I feel about my own work as a writer. It's something I say a lot about Double Helix is that it's a love story between a woman and her work and the choices that she has to make. And I think that that really feels like my big connection to her. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. We're talking a little bit about womanhood on the fringes Coming of this conversation. conversation. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I feel like for women, it's always part of the conversation. You can't talk about anything without it being there because it's factors into absolutely everything. I'm curious about what womanhood means to you and how it plays into your life now. I don't even know how to define womanhood. If that means. Yeah. But my being a woman feels like a part of absolutely every single thing. And I think maybe... It shows up in the biggest way in my work because I think the way that women have to think about their work is just different. My husband, the way he is seen in his workspace and the way that his identity plays into his work, it's just different. It's not a judgment. It's just, yeah. I certainly think about that. And I think about that as well from an age perspective being kind of early career and being younger and being a woman, I just feel like getting visibility in the industry is super challenging, which is one reason why I was so moved and thrilled that you all asked me to be on this podcast because this is a very big deal to me to be able to talk about my work and about myself with your listeners. But I just think these things are so deeply connected to the work itself. You know, obviously, Double Helix is a piece that is so expressly about being a woman and mm-hmm. challenges that this one woman in particular faced in a very specific moment in time and in a very specific context. So not only content-wise, but how I interface with the business. But, you know, I think I love being a woman. And by that, I mean, I've always been kind of like a girl's girl. I've always had girlfriends. That was like always kind of my thing. And so I think there's some expectations that it's kind of cool to subvert. A lot of times women are taught to be taken seriously in a man's world. Be extra professional. And And wear the button down so that and the glasses (laughs) so you look smart and blah, blah, blah. Pretend you're a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's kind of cool to actually show up and be like, maybe I can do this on my own terms. And a man doesn't have to think about that necessarily. At least I don't think that's the case. So why do I have to? I want to endeavor to be as good at my work as possible and for my work and craft and art to be as excellent as I can make it. And the other things, can I behave the way I would like to behave? You know, I don't have to be cold in order to be taken seriously because it's not really my nature. I don't know the answer to all these questions because 
you know, also I'm very early in my career. And I think with Double Helix in particular, I'm having a lot of first times and I'm kind of learning as I go. And I'm grateful to be able to learn. One of the things that Amy and I are really passionate about is talking to folks at every step of their journey, because as I'm sure you can relate to, Madeline, early on in the career, you see these huge, lofty, big giants to look up to. But it's hard when there aren't mid-career people that you can look up to. Those steps along the way are not as clear or as visible. And so it's really fun for Amy and I to talk to people at every level of the industry and, and get a sense of like, what are different groups of people dealing with at what moments? And I think it's really valuable for our listeners, too. Madeline, kind of jumping off of that, because you're describing yourself as an early career artist, I would love to hear from you about what your vision of success looks like in your work. What does success mean to you? Well, I do feel very early in my career because I have not had a commercial production, which is certainly my goal in my work because I want as many people to see it as possible. I want it to have the biggest reach as possible. I want everyone in the world to know about Rosalind Franklin. I want everyone in the world to see the other shows that I'm working on. But I would be remiss to think that that is the only thing that matters. And I think the older I get and the closer I come to achieving those goals, the more I realize that who I am as a woman matters to me more than who I am as a composer. I hope that my work is excellent and I want to have my work reach as many people as possible on the biggest stage as possible. But I also want to be someone in our community that can open doors for other people in the way that people have opened doors for me. I've been so generously mentored and helped by so many people, people who I think of as like the top of the top. And so that is something else that if I am ever lucky enough to have the kind of career I would hope to have that I can help other early writers and young writers the way that so many people have helped me. And I sometimes can't even believe how lucky I am. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell us about some of those experiences of mentorship that you've had that have been meaningful to you? Absolutely. The first person that comes to mind is the producer, Stacey Mendich, who was the lead producer on Dear Van Hansen and is such a visionary in terms of commissioning that show and shaping it through its journey to Broadway and beyond. She is someone who has just been so generous to me. Sometimes I just, I can't even believe it. She gives me such smart advice. She has connected me with so many people. She believes in my work. And I think that is just the most important thing. Someday when I am despairing in my work and in my career, I feel buoyed by her belief. And that means more to me than I could possibly say. Just knowing that she believes that what I'm doing in my work is, is important and deserves to be heard. Again, I've had so many people who have been so generous to me, but Stacy certainly has just and continues to be this guiding light in my career and in my work. That's beautiful. I love also women supporting women in that mentorship, too. Like, that's extremely special. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a value to Stacy for sure. Yeah. Amazing. Madeline, if you could make one change to the theater industry, what would it be? Only one? Give us two or three. Wave your magic wand for us then if you've got... (laughs) I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is how prohibitively expensive it is to see a show and it is Mm -hmm. to produce a show. Yeah, you said it. I think if the cost of seeing a show was lower, I think that that's like 
the umbrella change. If it were not so expensive, I think so many other incredibly positive changes would come from that. More audiences. We would certainly get more people. Think about all oh, the yeah. that you've been like, I just can't afford to go see that show. Highway robbery. I say that to myself all the time. I'm like, I go see that show. Are you crazy? This is so yeah. expensive. Not only would we have more people coming to see theater, but we would have different t- types of people coming to see theater. People who maybe think the theater is not for them in some way would say, well, I can take a chance. Maybe it's not for me, but I can take a chance and go see it because the cost of this ticket is not prohibitively expensive. I think that people would produce more daring work um, if if it were less expensive to produce. You know, it's such a financially driven space. Yeah. Very much connected. So it's there's like one thing I could change. It would be that because so many other things would change from that. Yeah. Yeah. The work being produced would be more daring. It would be more exciting. It would be stylistically, artistically more diverse. And I think the people coming to see theater, you know, there would just be greater access to that. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, that's a really, that's a great answer. Madeline, how do you think about balancing your creative work with the rest of being a human being? Amy, I think about this truly all the time. And this is actually a big theme in Double Helix, the choices that women uniquely have to make between their personal life and their professional life. You know, those are, at least for Rosalind Franklin, the two strands of her own Double Helix, which is, you know, the heart and the mind. Love it. And one of my hopes for the show is that people will leave thinking about what are those two conflicting strands that are competing for their time in their own lives. And I certainly think about this all the time. It's something I'm trying to do a better job of, of taking breaks from my work. Rest is hard. I always say it all the time. Taking a break is actually the hardest thing to do sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hard. It's so hard. And, you know, I think intellectually, I understand that it's good and it is right and it is we should do and, and healthy. Necessarily. <laughs> and yet, yeah. life is so hard to step away from this constant, at least for me, it feels like just always trying to be heard and trying to get my work produced. My goal at this moment is getting produced, getting produced. And so it feels like any time spent away from that is difficult. But I know in my gut that having a more balanced life is when I'm the best version of myself and certainly when I'm doing my best work. I think it's more difficult for women because I think the social expectations placed on women are so different. And, you know, it certainly is a big factor in my family planning. I very much want to be a mother and I would be lying if I told you that, you know, how my career figures into that is a huge part of that calculus. So I I think it's very much an ongoing process, but I think about it all the time. And I do think, you know, kind of goes back to when we were talking about what success is. I, I think of my art is so important, but I do think at the end of the day, it's our eulogy qualities more so than our resume qualities that are what matter. And at the end of the day, I guess it doesn't matter how many shows you've written or how many Tony Awards you have or don't. Those are the values that I certainly try to live by, but very much an ongoing. It's hard though. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, but a, a worthy, Definitely. a worthy one mm-hmm. indeed. 
Madeline, if you could go back to the very beginning and tell little Madeline something, what's something that you wish you had known when you first started out in theater? See, I would say keep advancing your craft. That's something that I am really committed to is always working on craft. Maybe seven years ago or something, I was like, okay, here's the Madeline Myers way that I write. And that's all good and well. And I can just keep writing the Madeline Myers way. Or I can really commit to score study and listening and reading and expanding and growing what I'm doing as a writer. That has been a big part of my work. I hope my work has gotten much better as a result. I would tell little Madeline for sure to just keep at that. I hope that in five or 10 years and 15 or 20 years or however long I'm lucky enough to be doing this work, that it's still a kind of daily practice of mine trying to just expand and grow my craft. I also think I would tell little Madeline, who I very much still feel that I am that person, <laughs> just to keep believing in the work that I'm doing because that is the thing that always pushes it forward. And my lowest days in my work are when I don't have that belief. I think my best writing happens when I feel deep in my spirit and soul that what I'm doing is important and special and worth hearing and worth telling. And I think staying connected to that is is everything. And I'm not sure that it gets easier as I get older, but I would look back at a younger version of myself and encourage her to just cling to that as tightly as possible. Yeah. And probably too, to like surround yourself with the people who also champion you, like to your point about mentorship too. I find at least for myself, when I lose sight and I lose confidence in what I'm doing, having those people around you who can be like, no, you're really good at this. Just to remind you. Yeah. Having people who believe in you and you don't believe in yourself is it's everything. It is everything. It is everything. I agree. Yeah. Is there some topic that is not being talked about in theatrical spaces that you wish was? I think financial literacy could be a much... That's a great one. That is great. ...part of this work because it is really hard to make money in theater. So much of theater is not commercial, and writers in particular need to advocate for their work in a really specific way. The resources available, I think, to learn about how to advocate for your work, how to know when you're being paid fairly. I just think that there are not a ton of resources about it. And I think for women in particular, learning how to advocate for your work is so important. So I think financial literacy is something that I would love to see as a bigger part of the conversation. That's terrific. Madeline, I want to ask you about what you're most proud of in your life and in your work. I'm so proud of Double Helix. I could burst. Cannot even tell you. I like don't know how I am a contained human being. I think the show is going to be something really meaningful. One of the things, and I call this my side passion project, and my husband thinks I'm crazy because he's like, Madeline, your whole life is a passion project. You don't need a side passion project all the time. He's not wrong. But um, one of the things that I have always dreamed of doing with this show is using Rosalind Franklin's story to shine a light on women and girls in STEM today. We are 
working to partner with a couple of organizations that will allow this show to open doors and shine a light on the work that young women in STEM are doing. And I'm so excited about it. You would think I wrote this musical just to do that. And maybe I did. (laughs) It is really something that I hope to expand as the show develops. Journey to a commercial production. We're trying to have science fair in the lobby of Bay Street. We're oh my gosh, that's amazing! I think it's so cool. I just, I, so cool. I, I'm really, 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 really proud of it, and I hope that there will be some other things to come out of that. But the show itself, I'm so proud of, and then this side passion project of mine. It's something that I'm just so excited about. Very, very proud of it. It's amazing. And also just in terms of how you're innovating in the way that we can partner, like theater can partner with other industries. I love the way that you're bridging this gap between these two industries that could really help each other in a way. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we're trying to do, we've had a couple of scientific advisors on the team. And one of the things that we're kind of in the process of dreaming up is doing some sort of celebration for what would be Roglin Franklin's 103rd birthday on July this year that would involve the show and it would involve a couple of women in STEM organizations. It would involve the scientific community that these advisors come from. That is not my community and that's not my world at all. But these women who have been our advisors are able to bring their network and it's something they care about in the same way. The same way we're talking about all the challenges that we face in theater. They have also experienced in their own ways and to really make it a celebration of work. When we were talking about what do these talkbacks look like? I didn't want it to be like, oh, here are all the incredible roadblocks and obstacles that I've faced as a woman in science. I wanted to be, look at this incredible research that Mm -hmm. these women in science have done. Look at the breakthroughs that they've made. Look at the doors they've opened for other people. So I believe it's Saturday, June 10th. We're having one of our talkbacks and then we hope to do another one in New York on July 25th, which would be Rosalind Franklin's 103rd birthday. And you know had a mentor in her life, a woman named Adrienne Weil, who was this French Jewish refugee. She fled France when Paris was occupied, and she came and was teaching at Cambridge when Rosalind was a student. There were two women's colleges at Cambridge at the time. One of them was Newnham College, and that's where Rosalind was a student. And she encountered Adrienne, who was just this dazzling woman. She'd never seen someone who was doing science the way Adrienne was. And it was like this major turning point for her in her life. And Adrienne was able to help Rosalind get her first job after she graduated and connected her with the lab that she worked on in Paris. So when I think about that actual relationship in the show and how it can maybe play out in the real world, that's something I'm very That's so exciting. Really yeah. is. Well, Madeline, is there anything else you want to share with us, with our listeners? I just want to say thank you so much for having me. It means so much to be able to talk to you all. I feel honored and thrilled. Very, very, very glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for your time and your energy. Madeline, is there anywhere on the internet that our listeners can find you? Absolutely. MadelineMyers.com. Single tickets will go on sale to see Double Helix at Bay Street on April 15th. So you can actually go to the Bay Street website and you can follow double helix musical on instagram or tiktok and you can go to doublehelixmusical.com as well to sign up for all of the future things in the life of the show amazing thank Thank you you so so much much, madeline such a pleasure to talk with you thank you both so much i'm really really grateful to be here and to speak with you all 
Thank you for listening to the Women in Theater podcast. We're your hosts, Haley Goldenberg. And Amy Andrews. If you like what you heard, subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. You can also follow us on social at Women in Theater Project to make sure you never miss an episode. The music for this show is written by talented Women in Theater community member, Chloe Geller. Thanks again for listening, everyone. See you next time. Bye.